lot going on today. Thanks, Cammy. So good to see everybody. Special welcome to those of you joining us online. And I'd just like to echo what Cammy said. Um, truly appreciate all the work that's gone in from so many teams. Um, and if you have interest in doing anything in the next couple of weeks, you have some spare time, uh, reach out to Marcy and she'll plug you into one of the teams. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, it's a huge encouragement to hang out with them. Um, I got to spend most of yesterday with George, our electrician, and um, you just, it's just good for the soul. It really is. And Cammie and I were joking this morning how they don't even yell at you when you screw up. Like, I'm always handing them the wrong tools or whatever, and they're just very kind and very graceful. So it truly is a great opportunity to kind of connect as a church as we work through this together. So um, part of our reason for wanting to be outside uh, is because we have a great venue here, um, but it also harkens back to our roots as a church. Because just over the hill, um, behind the Bragg's house, um, in 1812, Four Mile Church was founded. And um, they met outside for quite a while, actually. It says in our historical account that after some time, they established a tent, a 10 by 10 tent. And that was just for the pastor to stay under so that his parchment or his paper wouldn't get wet during the rain. But the rest of the congregation, they stood outside. And, um, and that went on for quite some time. And in fact, it wasn't for another 12 years that they actually then started to erect a log cabin. And we have a photo of it here, just in case um, you haven't seen it before. If you've ever been down over the hill, it's really neat. There's a, there's a cemetery down there, a lot of great historical facts. Um, but they started to build this log cabin about 12 years later. So that's how long they were out in the elements. Um, and they're, so this is, these are tough people. Like these are these Western Pennsylvania tough people. Um, in fact, we've been talking about maybe we should do uh, a couple services in the dead of winter out there, just to toughen ourselves up a little bit. And it's funny because as I've mentioned it, some people, they just kind of shrug their shoulders. They're like, dude, this is Steeler country. Like, we sit out in blizzards in 10 degree weather with nothing but body paint on. Like, this is no problem for us. So, um, so who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll give that a shot. But anyway, so they, they build this log cabin, and then over the course of like 30 years, they start tricking it out. Like, they put all these upgrades in it. They, they have a foundation they build around it so the water doesn't run through it because there's a little stream right next to it. And uh, they put some pews in, they put a fireplace in. Um, so they kind of like build this thing up. But you can just see how, how tough these people are to be able to continue to meet like that day in and day out. And then we see um, in around 1872, they moved it up the hill to its current site. And so that's where it resides now. And then in 1917, right around World War I time frame, they put in the manse, which is pretty cool. And then between 1943 and 1948, they started to dig out a basement underneath this building here. And think about that for a second. It was actually spearheaded um, by a man some of you may have heard of before, Willard McGaffick. That's Keith's dad. And so think about that. Like this is shovels, right, and picks and they start mining all the dirt and the rock out from underneath until they can finally get a horse in there and a cart to start pulling this thing out. And this goes on for like four or five years. And this is all so they can have room for Sunday school. They can put a kitchen in there. They can put a boiler room in there. And that's still part of our, our foundation today. So um, again, just part of uh, that speaks to the toughness um, of the church. And then in 1967, they built what we call the child care wing now. It was actually a set of office buildings at that time. And then around 1984, 1985, this sanctuary was put in place. So some of you are saying, like, what's up with the history lesson today, right? Well, it's just so important that we remind ourselves of where we came from as a church. It's just part of our identity. 
Plus, don't you think it's going to be fascinating when we get to heaven that we get to meet the faithful of Four Mile for so many years? They're probably going to want to ask you, like, are you still tying your horses out front like they used to do, right? Um, you can only imagine what their thoughts might be about we finally have a parking lot without potholes in it, right? Some of them are probably going to ask you about that. Um, or we may even find out that the original outhouse was positioned out where the pavilion is. Um, and so that could explain why it smells like that out there sometimes. I don't know. But in any case, it's going to be so good to be reconnected as a church because for so many years, this church has been praying for the future and the generations that will come. So again, that's why I think it's so important for us to celebrate what's gone on here for 210 years with the worship, the traditions of Four Mile Church. And also just think, how many times on this campus has that song, Amazing Grace, reverberated over the years? So it's just part, it's great to be part of that tradition. Of course, our roots as a church go way back farther than that, some 2,000 years to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon all of Jesus' disciples, and that's when the church was lit on fire, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, those disciples went out and responded to their commission. And that commission was so important to them back in that day, and it's equally important to us today to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded. And also, Jesus promised to be with them wherever they went. And so, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples responded by doing just that. And as we learned a few weeks ago, when they responded, three things seemed to happen. They were in constant trouble, completely fearless, but absurdly happy. And that's exactly what we can expect to happen to us whenever we respond to our commission. Because we're kind of standing at a crossroads here. And this is not Four Mile Church. This is the church universal. It's kind of scratching its head right now. It hasn't figured out what to do with this pandemic. How do things return back to the way they were? Everything seems to have changed. How do we minister in this new crazy culture that we can't seem to understand? Why don't we see revival and conversion the way that seemed to happen back in the biblical times? Why don't people go to church every Sunday as a family like they used to when we were growing up? Well, as most of you know, I'm pretty much a rookie pastor, just to have one year under my belt. So I'm not kind of biased by the way the church in the past has done things. I've never been on a church staff before, and so as I come into something like this, I kind of have a different perspective than many pastors may have at this point in time. Because I kind of see it as that the real challenge we're dealing with is that we've become an organization that's pretty complacent. That's the word I like to use. Complacency is what happens when we don't like change, when we don't like critical feedback, when we don't want to be held accountable. And every person, every family, every organization out there is in a constant battle with complacency. And if you think about our church, those three things pretty much mark the church, the church universal these days. We just don't see many people responding to their commission. I recently met with some pastors, some of them who have been in the church business for decades. And one of them made a comment. He said, you know, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like, we just, we aren't getting anybody back. Like, church has just completely changed. Maybe we need to shake it up a little bit. Maybe we need to try something new. Maybe we need to get outside of the walls of the church. And I, my inner voice kicked in. I didn't say this out loud, but I was like, 
really? That's a new idea? What the heck have you been doing for the last 20 years? Right? Because nowhere in our commission do we see come to church. What we see in the commission is go. Get out of the walls. Get out into the town. Get out into the street. Go make disciples. Don't just come. Go. It's the church, not a building, but the people who live out their commission in their everyday, ordinary lives. And sure, we gather every Sunday, and we do that to praise and worship God together, to encourage one another, so that we're strengthened throughout the week to go and carry out our commission. Now, to see what I mean, let's check out how the early church responded to their commission as we find it in Acts chapter 2. It's in the bulletin that you received, so you can check it out later in the week, um, and it's also on the screen behind me. So let me read it to you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the, prophet, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice up there, the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Don't you love how Luke puts this? He's a definite article, the, in front of every one of those, as if to say, that's just what happens. That's just what you do. It's just the norm in our faith, each of those thes. And it just so happens that those are also the four ways we find in Scripture by which the Holy Spirit works in our inner being. It's what resulted in their generous hearts, manifesting them, selling their possessions to care for others and to praise God. You see, they weren't complacent back then. They were all in. They were responding to their commission. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Note, it doesn't say that they did it, that they added, because that's not our role. The Lord does it. It's one of the key principles of our faith, that we don't do things for God. He accomplishes His will through us as we respond in obedience to His teachings and to His commission. It's why we shouldn't be surprised at all that the church seems so anemic these days, because it hasn't been obedient to its calling. It's neglected the teaching of truth, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It's not doing what it was designed to do, because if it was, it would be in constant trouble, completely fearless and absurdly happy as God works through us in our everyday, ordinary lives. Those are the marks of the early church that we can expect to bear when we respond like they did. But of course, these are just a few examples of the way we see the early church responding. In fact, if you look across the totality of the New Testament, you'll find more than 40 specific, unique functions described as to how the early church responded. So as a staff and as elders, we've spent quite a bit of time going through the New Testament, identifying all these 40 different functions, and we've organized them within these 12 pillars that you've heard us talking about 
throughout most of the year. These are the fundamentals of our faith. And they're in that bulletin that we handed out. You've seen them many times. These are the ways the early church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, responded to their commission. That's also how we're going to fulfill our vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Because our mission here has not changed. It's taking our next steps towards Christ together, day by day. And these pillars just happen to be our tangible next steps. If you go to our website, you can see a full write-up on each of them, along with a video that kind of explains it to you. I'd encourage everyone to go check them out and pray over them and ask God to call your attention to maybe one or two of them. And then it's just three easy steps. It's a crawl, it's a walk, and it's a run. To crawl, you simply sign up for a pillar, you'll become part of this community of practice, others kind of standing alongside you as you work through it. You'll learn all about the pillar by reading scripture, you'll check out some books, you'll do some exercises, um, you'll be talking with other people in your pillar about it. And then when you're ready, you move to the walk phase and you look for opportunities through your pillar to serve the church. We've pretty much organized everything in the church these days around our pillars, and that's so we can practice on each other. For example, when we had the car cruise a couple of weeks ago, the manage well pillar pretty much planned it, the prayer pillar prayed through it, the serve others pillar worked the kitchen. And that walk phase, you can see, is just a great chance to kind of practice it on each other, really safe environment. And then, of course, that all gets us ready to put it into practice in our everyday, ordinary lives when we begin to run. Step three. Paul writes all about this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. This is an excerpt from Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's also in your bulletin, so you can check it out later this week. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we're to take our everyday, ordinary lives and place them before God as an offering, just like the early church did. Notice, too, how when we fix our attention on God, instead of the culture around us, we're actually the ones who are changed. Yes, it's important that we serve others, we encourage others, we lead others, we reach the lost. It's so important for the sake of other people that as we learn here in Romans 12, we're also transformed from the inside out. Now, I often hear this when people come to see me. They'll say, my faith has become so stale. It's so dry. I find church to be so boring. And that's probably because you're trying to consume it. We're called here in this passage to stop being a consumer and start being a producer. Because Paul says you'll be transformed from the inside out. It's all about what God is doing in us and through us. You see, responding to our commission, it all starts with us. When we put God first, 
He brings out the best in us, well-formed maturity, because that's the way he designed us to be. So let me give you an example of how this works for pillar number 10, grateful hearts. First, you sign up, and then you get up to speed on those functions associated with that, and you meet with other people in your pillar, and that's the crawl phase, and then perhaps you decide to join the church's card writing ministry, and you work on expressing gratitude to people through card writing. Or maybe because you have a generous heart, you commit to providing food every Monday night or one Monday night a month or something for our youth group that meets. Again, that's part of the walk phase. And then when you're ready, you run. You start doing it in your everyday, ordinary life. You express gratitude at the grocery store. You express gratitude at the post office. You even try to express gratitude when you go to the DMV and you're sitting there for hours waiting to renew your driver's license, right? If you can do that, you're there, right? You also look for needs among your coworkers, and you generously provide it out of the abundance of what God has done for you. So hopefully you see, this is not a normal church program where you have to reprioritize your schedule. So oftentimes we have these church programs where I gotta stop everything I'm doing on a Wednesday night so I can go to a parenting class or a marriage class, but we don't want you to do that. We want you to keep doing what you were gonna do on a Wednesday night, go to the ball fields, go to the gym, whatever you do. But when you do it, take your pillar with you. Make it your priority, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, that you're focused on building up and encouraging other people. It's the atmosphere that you bring with you. And when you do that, just watch to see how God works through you to reach other people. And then when you're ready to jump into another pillar, you sign up for maybe the pray and faith pillar, and you start praying with the church, and you put that into work, in your everyday, ordinary life, for your neighbors, for your boss, for the people along the way in your commute each morning. And within a few years, you should be able to work your way through all 12 of these pillars. And I know as you look across that, it can seem a little daunting, like everyone's challenged by pillar number six, reaching the lost. That's challenging for sure. Some of you look at pillar number one and you're like, man, there is no way I'm teaching. I'm not getting up in front of people. But when you get into these pillars, you start to see that teaching doesn't necessarily require you to get up and give a sermon. There's a lot of other ways you can do it. And for sure, when you're done working through these, there'll be some that you really connect with and some that you don't connect with at all. But it's important that you see them all because they all come together and they reinforce each other. And that's when we see this thing called expressions. That's when they take shape. Expressions are when multiple pillars combine in our everyday, ordinary lives. So we began with pillars where we did the crawl, walk, run phase, like you see up there in part C at the bottom in white. And then we move up to expressions. This is where maybe you have an idea to perhaps have like an oil changing ministry out of your garage at home or something. And so what do you do? You ask the uh, making godly decisions pillar to help you set it up maybe. Um, the prayer pillar, of course, to pray for it. The reach the lost pillar to help you better minister to those who don't know Jesus as you change oil because that's exactly how the God used the early church. One body, one team, working together towards his purposes. And that's exactly how God will use us when we respond as one body, one team, as his church. Now to keep us focused as a church on our vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, we've identified two main lines of efforts, student ministry and local missions. 
The idea is that we try to align all of our expressions up with these two fairly broad categories. Historically, as you know, Four Mile Church has been aligned with local missions in the Midland area. The center provides tons of opportunities to serve, but there are still many more needs in the Midland area. And ideally, some of the expressions we come up with would be designed to fill those gaps. Four Mile has also had a pretty strong foothold in the student ministry realm with robust childcare and preschool programs. Of course, you heard last week we're bringing Diane and Nikki into the fold, and so that's going to provide any number of other additional opportunities for us to expand in these lines of efforts. So even that oil-changing ministry, if you think about it, it can support either line of effort. Imagine if you bring some high school kids in and you teach them how to change oil, you teach them how to do customer relations, how good that would be for them. And then maybe you also kind of target the audience that you're after with the oil-changing ministry to maybe those folks down in Midland. So you can see how this all kind of ties together. Now, we've already had several people develop some really interesting ideas and even begin to put them into action. So I invited a couple of them to come on up, and um, I'm just going to have them tell you a little bit about each of them. So we're going to start with Christy. It's a good thing I saw Cammie put that back. I would have never known where that was. <laughs> so just take a minute or so, Christy, and tell everybody how you kind of opened up the cafe um, to minister to middle school kids this last spring. So we've had the cafe for almost 20 years now, and over the years, uh, we have occasionally opened up for different student ministries to have their, uh, we've even done this with our own, to have high schoolers meet on their normal student ministry night, and that's, that worked out okay here and there, um, but as David was new last year, um, as I'm always praying through the cafe, our mission is to serve God through serving the community. Um, and how, like, how do we effectively do that? Is it just something we say but don't really do? Um, and then as I looked at our ordinary everyday life, and we have Abby, our own middle schooler, and last year was her first year in seventh grade at Beaver Middle School, and I got hit um, between the eyes, not realizing that most middle schoolers want to walk around town in Beaver. So when Abby, the first week of school, said, hey, mom, can I go walk around town with some friends? Um, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, we kept lengthening the leash. And so then as we were talking about um, student ministry and what does that look like here at our own church, and then as we talked about um, doing things in our everyday ordinary life, um, the cafe closes at two and realizing that stu the students like to walk around town, why not give them a place, a destination. So we started in January last year and we ran it January through May on Tuesdays. Um, they could walk to the cafe and it was just middle schooler time until four o'clock. And one of my uh, crew members was willing to stay and he's in his 20s. So kind of nice, a little closer to be able to relate to them. And we also had several um, different youth uh, ministers or volunteers for student ministries that would just come and be there so um, from several different churches and that was nice I was able to focus on the cafe and washing the dishes while Stephen was out front um, serving the kids and they just had a place to gather so it was just very casual there was nothing um, you know intentional or preachy about it it was just providing them a place a safe place and then also um, allowing the opportunity for them to get to know some of the different ministry leaders in the area. Yeah, it was great. In fact, as a, we looked at this as a complete pilot, wasn't sure what was going to happen to this thing, 
And it kind of you know, started around 15, 16, and kind of worked its way up to 30 or so. And the one time we asked the question, how many of you like, go to church? And there were only like a couple that raised their hand. In fact, how many four-milers would come? I, I think there were three. Three, just three four-milers. Yeah. So that's exactly where we want to be. We were so fired up by that, right? Because now we're out into the town. We're out into the streets. We're reaching people that don't, maybe, maybe don't even know Jesus. So we don't know what it looks like this next year, and that's okay. Like, it's actually good to, it's a little daunting sometimes. You're like, who knows what this next thing is going to be? But we just let God work through it. Right. Yeah, yeah excellent. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. So next, um, I want to invite. A lot more interesting when you bring other people up on stage, isn't it? Yeah. So I want to bring um, Cindy up here um, because Cindy is part of a pillar that did something really neat last week. So tell them what pillar you're part of and what you guys did. Uh, This is pillar 11. Um, It was not my idea. Um, It was a great idea, but I don't want to take credit for it. But it was to go downtown Beaver, and we actually stood in front of the bell at the PNC court, uh, corner there right across from Starbucks, and we put up a big sign that said, um, we'll give you $5 if you call somebody who needs to be told that you love them. And uh, we actually had a, a sign-in board. If you didn't want to call somebody, you could write something and take a picture of it and, and, and text them. So it was just sort of an outreach, and we kept calling it the Share the Love event. So we would watch as somebody would come past and say, you know, hey, would you like to have $5 to call somebody? And we got some kind of strange responses, <laughs> as you would, could imagine. Um, I, I won't group them, but one was, you know, no, I'm not interested. One was, this is a political thing, I don't want to vote for so-and-so. Uh, I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're about. Um, uh, the very first person who, who stopped was actually a pastor. He didn't, we didn't know that up front, but he said, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing or whatever. Um, we had uh, a lot of people who were afraid to, not to say afraid to, they didn't know who to call. Like, do I call my mom? Do I call my spouse? You know, whoever you want to call, whoever you think might need a little outreach and a little extra encouragement to say somebody loves you today. Um, uh, a lot of people said, I don't need the $5. Uh, some were kind of negative about that and actually said, nobody should pay me to love somebody. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but we, we gave them a little envelope that had a $5 bill in it and that also had uh, a sticker from Fort Mile and some information uh, about Fort Mile if they, you know, wanted to open it. Um, so anyway, then uh, we had, should I keep going? Yeah, keep going, sure. <laughs> we, yeah. we probably had, uh, we probably reached out to, we realized maybe it was the wrong corner because Starbucks was right across the street and people kept looking at us over from Starbucks. But um, actually, uh, uh, David's wife, Jen, kind of, she says, what's the perimeter here? Can I keep walking? So she kind of walked around the place and I said, what a, a, a military response. What's the perimeter? Like, <laughs> but I thought it was cute. But anyway, so she kind of went out in the crowd or whatever. Um, we probably had, um, I don't know, Cammy filmed everybody. She actually asked, is it okay to, when I film you? Um, some strange responses because not everybody had a phone, which I was really surprised. I thought everybody had a phone with them. Um, but we, some of them used our phones and when the number would come up, you know, wouldn't necessarily be somebody they recognized. So we got a lot of voicemail, but they left messages. Um, so everybody who, who did stop, did, did do something, reached out to somebody. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not letting him ask his questions because okay. I know what the questions are. But the, the final one was, no, the, 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 how, how it impacted me was we had one that, um, and I won't give her a name or whatever, but she was a... Uh, a, a child who had been in foster care her entire life. At 15, she was adopted by a Christian couple. She went away to college at 18 or 19 and got pregnant. 
and was thrown out by her family, her adopted family. And she stayed in a shelter for a while until the baby was born. I'm not really sure the timing, but anyway, it was in Florida and she moved up here because some, some people in the shelter lived here and, and she moved up with this. So she had her baby in the stroller and she was almost in tears the entire time, but she said, I want to call my mom. I haven't spoken to her for 18 months. And we're like, okay. Um, so she did, um, and it wasn't, she didn't have her phone with her, so she called on a strange number, and she's like, what do I do, what do I do? I got my got voicemail, and she said, leave a message. So she left a very heart, heartfelt message, and it, it touched me because I know what it's like to be estranged from a family member for a long period of time, and whichever end you're on of that, it's not a comfortable feeling. So it kind of brought back those feelings in me, like, you know, we need to encourage people, we need to tell them we love them, because you never know when you're going to, you know, not get a chance to do that. And the, the follow-up of the story was the woman actually uh, called or texted back to the strange phone to say, please let her know that, I, that we love her. So it was just, uh, you know, for whatever, whatever money we spent, whatever time we spent, oh, the, the, fi the final story, people were saying, I don't need the $5, give it to the next person. Actually, when this woman was there, and obviously she could use money because, um, you know, the, her situation, the guy next to her heard it, and he said, please give this money to her. So um, people were, you know, sharing their whole experiences, and it was yeah. just a great time. So excellent, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Some powerful stuff. Um, of course, probably none of you were surprised that the first person up was a pastor. Always looking for a free handout, aren't they? <laughs> Five bucks. Okay, so. Mallory is in that pillar that we talked about, the daunting pillar, um, the reaching the lost. So tell us a little bit about the challenges of reaching the lost. In general or in my business? Both. <laughs> okay, so um, I think reaching the lost in general is challenging because where do you start? Um, do you just start preaching scripture at people or how do you build relationships? How do you find the opportunities to meet different people? So I think that's just across the board, a general challenge with reaching the lost. Um, but in my business, uh, I own Box Strong. We are a boxing fitness organization um, and that's just a family run thing as well as a lot of friends. And I say that because uh, we have a lot of Christians within our organization who've really picked up on what our overall mission is. We are not a Christian organization, but we definitely have a purpose. And so uh, I'm looking at a couple people who help me with this purpose and it's to be a safe space for people to come in. They come in for fitness and um, they leave feeling loved, or at least that's the hope. So um, our goal is to be available and open and just share uh, the love we have within our hearts with other people. And the hope is that we're asked why. Yeah. So what kind of reactions have you seen? Can you give us a couple examples? Yeah. <laughs> um, some people are very closed off at first. They're not coming into our community expecting anything more than fitness. So when they start to feel uh, maybe, I wouldn't say aggressively pursued, but like this is more than a fitness community. It's people wanting to make you part of their family. Um, they close up a little bit and they're not ready to be vulnerable. So sometimes it's taken uh, years to yeah. get to know people on a deeper level just because they come in with hurt. It's a boxing gym, so they come in wanting to hit things annually. <laughs> and so um, there's hurt in there. And so a lot of people have shut down and it's taken a long time to kind of break through the layers. Um, and we found that the best way to do that is just to share a little bit of vulnerability with others. So let them into our hardships, let them into our hurts. So that way we can explain that there's hope on the other side of it. 
Yeah. What I think is so interesting about Mallory's story and all that she's got going on down at Boxstrong is how it really is the everyday, ordinary life. She gets up at like 3.30 in the morning, she heads down there to do her thing, and it's just part of her everyday, ordinary life throughout the entire day, um, just trying to reach the lost, trying to engage people in places where, you know, they're coming for some reason, but they actually don't really know the real reason they're coming. So it's a huge encouragement. So thanks, Mallory. Yeah, thank yeah. You. Now, Abby's going to talk a little bit about the prayer pillar, and this is, as I mentioned earlier, like the prayer pillar is just kind of like it's the first one we launched, there was a good reason we launched it. Um, Abby's one of the co-leads inside of this pillar, um, and we made a lot of changes inside of the prayer world, so could you just talk through some of the things that have changed over the last couple months? Yeah. Um, so as a staff, we organized a new system that encourages and empowers people to be invested and committed in prayer. Um, we also wanted people to feel ownership over their calling to pray for the church and the congregants that attend here. Um, and we've done that by having a set of people assigned to pray over the service in the congregation every Sunday. We have a group of specified people each month who receive the requests that come in through the prayer request page. And we have continually encouraged people to jump in on the kingdom prayers um, that are posted on the prayer website. The kingdom prayers are a guideline for prayer each week. So it's just a way that we can encourage you to think um, a little bigger than just injuries and um, sickness. But what was I going to say? Sorry, I have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it promotes spiritual formation and in the hearts of the community, its leaders, and those outside. Um, so just to be clear also, the prayer team is not the prayer pillar. Both teams are actually quite different. The prayer team is assigned to pray over particular Sundays, and the prayer pillar is focused on community prayer and development. So I know you're super excited about this new prayer initiative we're getting started on. So tell everybody a little bit about what's going to happen October 15th-ish, um, or 20th, October 20th, yeah. yeah. So October 20th, we're going to start meeting down in the basement for worship rehearsals at 7 p.m. Um, to pray over the team, the tech team, the congregants, um, anyone who's serving and volunteering, the leaders, to pray over all of that together. And then we're gonna come up here and participate in worship as the team practices. So since they will be practicing, it'll be like an ongoing time of worship and prayer um, that you can do at your own discretion. Worship usually, or the rehearsal usually lasts until nine o'clock but you don't have to stay that long. You can leave whenever you want. Um, and we're doing this, I'm sorry, we're doing this to one, prepare our own hearts and minds, but to also to bring us together as a unified front come Sunday, knowing the songs, praying for the hearts of the people. It's a team effort and one that we really want to encourage people to get involved in. Yeah, so we are very excited about this because it brings the whole praise and the prayer together. Uh, it's Thursday night, middle of the week, great opportunity for everybody to just kind of like, you know, recharge themselves during the week. Come in here really easy, 7 o'clock, we'll do some prayers downstairs, come upstairs. And not only do you get to praise and worship um, with the, the tech team and the band, but you're now ready for Sunday. So now we can expect you to really belt it out on Sunday because you know all the songs you rehearsed and how it all goes down. So you should see yourself as an extension of the band that's up here and part of the worship because that's really what we are as a congregation, one big extension. So, because I have our prayer pillar lead up here, I figured we might as well just have her close us in prayer. So. Father, thank you for this time together, for this community that you have called each of us to. 
and for the amazing responsibility that you have given us to be active participants in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that hearts would continue to be transformed, that the words David spoke this morning would weigh heavy on us, and that perspectives would be changed, all for your glory. We love you, Lord, and pray all of these things in the name of your one and only Son. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Abby. So really the purpose today was to kind of lay out a whole let's go effort. It was an opportunity for us to kind of show you how it's rooted in Scripture in particular, um, Acts chapter 2, Romans um, 12, and really many other places uh, too. But what we want to see this as a church is this is really our next steps. This is what we see ourselves doing for the foreseeable future. This isn't some gimmick. It's not what are you doing next. It really is what Scripture calls us to do to carry out our Great Commission. And as we see in Acts 2, um, these four means through which the Holy Spirit strengthens our inner being. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And Four Mile Church will always be devoted to the teaching of Scripture. We don't want you to come each week and hear from me or hear from Cami. We want you to hear from God. And that is why we go line by line through Scripture. We're also committed to the fellowship. There's a picnic today. We hope you all stay for that. Um, and we're also going to start on October 2nd. We're going to call this thing Take 30. We're moving up the time church starts. How about that? 10 o'clock. Now, the worship service is still 1030, but we'd like you to come at 10 o'clock. Come downstairs in the dining hall. There'll be food down there. There'll be drinks down there. It's 30 minutes before church to prepare your hearts, to talk to people, to engage, talk about all these ideas like you heard what Christy said. Man, there, you might be like, hey, I could plug into that cafe somehow, and maybe we start working with that. So it's just a way to exchange ideas, to fellowship, and to do exactly what we're called to do as a church. We're obviously devoted to the breaking of bread. You remember throughout the Lent season, we fasted on Wednesdays and we came together and we broke bread, communion, um, to break the fast. We do that often as we can through our services on Sunday, and we're going to do it today as part of a response time. And of course, Formal Church is devoted to the prayers. The prayers are so important, nothing happens without prayer. We must first be a church with prayer. And that's where we're excited. Next week, we start a seven-week series as we go through Paul's teaching on prayer in, in Ephesians 3. So we're super excited about that. So just like the early church did, let's once again gather at the foot of the cross to contemplate the depths of our commission, what God has called us to be as a church in response to the unsearchable riches of his grace, because we know God is just that there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But we also know that God is merciful because under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. Salvation is by grace, through faith, a free gift to all those who will humble themselves before the cross and place their faith in Jesus. It's why before the Lord went to the cross to shed his blood for us, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and man for all time. And Paul instructs believers to examine themselves before they receive the elements. Not whether we're worthy, because we all know we're not worthy, but we examine ourselves to make sure that we are embracing and marveling at God's grace and the immense price God paid to save us from our sins. So let's take a few moments in the quiet of our hearts to humbly confess our sins, accept his forgiveness, and recommit ourselves in humble obedience to his service. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, our sin is ever before us, reminding us of our need for a Savior. You are our God 
and we are your people. And you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, establishing this new covenant that we all live under. Lord, we are not worthy that you should come under our roof, but speak the word only and our souls shall be healed. Amen. 